Hi, my name's Nick Smith, founder and creator of Part-Time Pilot. Now, after three years, five flight instructors, and over $22,000 out of my bank account, I was finally able to achieve my dream and become a private pilot. Now, I have a bachelor's and master's in aerospace engineering and over 10 years experience as a flight test engineer. So if it was that difficult for someone like me, no wonder eight out of 10 student pilots never end up becoming a pilot. So this is why I created Part-Time Pilot, and this is why I'm creating this podcast. This podcast will be your audio ground school and just another way Part-Time Pilot is making flight training easier and more consumable for you. So with over 300 students and counting that have used our content to pass the FAA private pilot exams, I hope that you can use this podcast to become the next student to do so. So thank you and I hope you enjoy listening to the Part-Time Pilot audio ground school podcast hello and welcome into the part-time pilot audio ground school podcast my name is nick smith i'm your host and founder and creator of part-time pilot online ground schools and pilot resources right now we just have the private pilot but ifr ground school online ground school coming soon for you guys all right so I hope everyone had a good Thanksgiving. I I don't know if this is dropping the week of Thanksgiving. Maybe it is. I, I forgot to check on the date. So if Thanksgiving hasn't happened yet, then have a good Thanksgiving or whatever you celebrate. I've did, then I did already happen or you already celebrated, whatever. Then I hope you had a good holiday break and got to see some family and relax a little bit because I know you guys are working hard. All right, so today we're going to get back into the lessons I mean, we've been doing the lessons. We did the lesson on communications, and we had the bonus episode that help you maybe practice and hear some real communications. We're going to continue on that section of the ground school on airport operations. So that's section 14 of the step one course. So in the private pilot online ground school at part-time pilot, we organize everything by courses. So you have a membership, and each membership comes with a number of courses. So our online ground school membership comes with bunch of courses we got some bonus courses like we have a bonus audio lessons course where it's just all these audio lessons without me talking like right now it's just the lesson content so you can just listen to them one after the other and pretty much go through the whole ground school one after the other right there on the same page then we have a downloads bonus course where you can get our ultimate private pilot test prep book cross-country planning ebook flashcards stuff like that and then we have the courses to get your endorsement. So we have step one, step two, step three. Step one is going to be all your lessons. So it's going to be the written lessons with visual aids, examples, audio lessons on there as well, and then video lessons as well. And then after each lesson is a quiz. And then step two is like your practice tests. And then step three would be getting your endorsement. What we do is after you take the practice test, we give you a customized report of your practice test with some review questions on the things you kind of missed. And then we go from there and work with you to get your endorsement. That process right there is why we have such a high 99.9% success rate with our students passing the exam. So that's kind of how we structure our ground school is in these courses. So if you want to follow along, just go to parttimepilot.com, get that online ground school or the bundle. Membership of the bundle includes courses for checkride prep as well, and then a checkride prep bonus course. So uh, go and check that out if you want to follow along. I highly recommend you do follow along because we do have a lot of examples and stuff like that and visual aids. 
And then finally, we just added an AI. We added the capability to be able to use our ChatGPT account. So Part-Time Pilot got a ChatGPT Pro account. If you're familiar with ChatGPT, it's a language-based AI model that is all over the news right now. It's really cool. You can ask it questions. So before with just the ChatGPT, you could ask it a question and it might not know what you're talking about. For example, like it might say, if you were to ask it, like, what is a stall, right? It might say like, it's a thing you can keep horses or cars in, right? Like a stall. It needed context. That was one of the things. And then Sometimes if it doesn't understand your exact question, it starts to get creative and make things up because the whole thing with AI is that people are trying to make these AI entities think for themselves. So sometimes they can get too creative and give you the wrong answer. So what we've done over the past like six months or so is actually train an AI, ChatGPT AI on part-time pilot content and on how we do things. And so only part-time pilot students can access this no one else can access this information and the chatbot is on each and every lesson so there's a little symbol and on each lesson you just click the symbol in the bottom right for the chatbot it pulls it up and now this chat gpt has the context of the private pilot ground school and part-time pilot so you can say how can i reset my password it's going to tell you how to do that on our site you can ask it you know what is a stall it's going to know you're talking about stalling of an airplane and stuff like that so really really cool really cool project learning about all that it's i think embracing ai is the only way to go it's going people are relating it to electricity when we when we invented electricity so it's going to have huge implications and instead of being worried about that it's going to take people's jobs and all that stuff it is going to shake things up but just like electricity did it's also going to create new new opportunities and I think that using it for education is a no-brainer. It can really, really, really help. Literally just go through the lessons. And if you have, you're like, wait, why is this? If a question pops into your mind, ask our chatbot. And it's going to know what to tell you. Now, again, it's not 100% perfect, right? It still can be creative if it doesn't know 100% what you're talking about and come up with some nonsense. So always verify with the ground school what's, and but most importantly, what the FAA says and what your instructor says. Okay, so that's my little spiel about kind of some updates and what you'll get if you follow along in the online ground school. So sorry, I got kind of <laughs> carried away with AI. I'm really interested in it if you can't tell. But if you want to, we're going to go and you're following along, go to the step one course. That's the private pilot lessons. So it's the video lessons, images and all that really going to help you out on this stuff. While you're listening, you can see these visual aids. So we're in section 14 of that course on airport operations, and we're going to be continuing on lesson three and probably lesson four as well. So lesson three is on flight service stations and control centers. Lesson four is filling out, filing, and activating a flight plan. But before we get to that, let's read off a couple reviews. Now, remember, if you leave us a review, likely try to get to all of them, but we'll read it off here on the podcast. And you can leave us a review at trustpilot.com. You can leave a review about the ground school or about the the podcast. And if you have Apple Podcasts, you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It really, really helps us out. We don't have a ton of reviews. Any single review on there would really help us out. Uh, just gets us more seen and more visible. And then if you have Spotify, I think you can leave like a star rating. I don't know that you can leave a review, but I think you can put a star rating. 
that would really help us out. But let's go ahead and read off just a couple of reviews. This is from Trustpilot. So this one is an anonymous review. Five star. My experience with the part-time pilot ground school has been fantastic. The combination of audio, video, and written explanations along with the quizzes is helping me go from someone with zero knowledge of flying to growing in my understanding. Oh, and the study hack really got me over the hump of feeling overwhelmed. Thank you. Again, that was a five-star review. So what they're referring to with the study hack is one of those bonus courses that I talked about that I didn't mention earlier was is a five-step study hack course. So I did sort of like a deep dive because I realized a lot of students, when I asked them, I did some polls on our students, what's the biggest problem you have with ground school? And it was just like getting over that study hump, being able to act like, you know, flying is fun, studying is not very fun. So how do I actually be consistent at studying learn the material you know when it's not that exciting that's what that course is all about that's awesome to hear that they like that course that is awesome thank you for the review this next one is from christopher kruger five star review this is an excellent course if you're looking to begin your flight career or hobby this is an excellent course if you're looking into completing your ground school in an affordable and efficient manner. The course is set up beautifully with easy to access lessons that guide you with in-depth text, videos, and even audio recordings. Part-time pilot has every benefit plus more in comparison to other companies. It's also the best price. Thank you, Christopher Kruger. That is awesome. I'm so glad that you say that. That every benefit plus more in comparison to other companies and it's the best price because that was the goal when I first set out recently mentioned, you know, we didn't do a Black Friday deal. That is because my goal this whole time was to get to the point where part-time pilot is the best price and it has by far the most features. So it's a no-brainer for students. They're getting the best deal, saving a little bit of money by getting more value in there with like our AI flight instructor assistant or our flashcards, our ultimate private pilot test prep book, ebook that comes with it. Like, all the stuff that other places might charge extra for, that's all included. So this is a no-brainer so that I don't have to do a lot of marketing and then we don't have to do deals to try and get more people to notice us. So thank you, Chris, for that. One more. This is from Kyle S. Five stars. I am currently working toward my PPL. I have used King, Sporties, and now Part-Time Pilot. I find Part-Time Pilot the most comprehensive and easily understandable ground school so far. I recommend PTP. If you are just starting out on your PPL. So love it. Kyle, thank you. I don't have anything bad to say about Kings and Sporties. You know, they have different styles. Kings got those videos. They're the OGs of online ground school, right? And from San Diego as well. So I really respect those people. So one of the big things that people say about Kings is, you know, it's just videos, right? So when I started out my ground school, you know, I wanted to have all three. I wanted to have written lessons, images, and examples, audio and video, so that no matter how you learn best, that's covered at part-time pilot. And then sporties, I don't have too much experience. I do. I did enroll in sporties a while ago. They have a lot of, you know, cool HD videos and stuff like that that can be, you know, very helpful, especially getting, if you're new to aviation, you want to see what it looks like in a plane or something like that. That is cool. They have high-tech stuff and website and all that i haven't heard the best in terms of preparing students for the test so not really sure what to say about that but anyways yeah we're the best so just go with us now let's get on to a listener question this week just like last week kind of be similar 
I am going to forego the listener question because one of the questions was, do you do mock checkwrite oral exams? And I've been wanting to do these for a while now, and I just had other stuff to do. Uh, I got a volunteer, so we're going to actually record a little bit later today. We're going to do a mock check ride, and we're going to make that into another bonus audio. So if you're preparing for your check ride, it's going to be another bonus podcast episode. We'll do a mock check ride with that person that volunteered. That'll be our listener question. We're going to do a whole episode on that. All right, so without further ado, now that I've said all that mumbo-jumbo, we can get on to the lesson. Okay, this lesson is on flight service stations and control centers. One thing that was never really explained well to me when I was doing my private pilot training, and that I, to be honest, put off understanding all the way until one of my later check rides, so one of my later check ride preparation flights, when I really should have known it before, is the difference between a flight service station and an approach departure control center. So I wanted to put this, you know, there's not a lot of questions on the FAA written exam in this, but I wanted to make a lesson here because this was something that I wish someone had told me prior to getting to my check ride. Luckily, I did learn it right before my check ride, but something I should have known earlier. So that's why I put this in there. So A flight service station, or FSS, they are traffic facilities that communicate directly with pilots to conduct pre-flight briefings, flight plan processing, in-flight weather advisory services, search and rescue initiation, and assistance to aircraft in emergencies. An FSS may also process notices to airmen, or NOTAMs, and provide updates on aviation meteorological and aeronautical information. Flight service stations do not provide you with traffic alerts, they do not clear you through airspaces, and they do not provide flight following. To make initial contact with an FSS, a pilot should state the FSS radio, their own call sign, and aircraft type, and state which VOR Vortec they are receiving from. For example, Cincinnati Radio Cherokee 378 Charlie receiving Hardwick Vortec over. FSS flight service stations are found on a sectional or terminal area chart underneath VOR communication boxes with the name in brackets. And we have an example here that you can see in the lesson. The flight service station frequency is the same as the VOR unless you see a frequency listed on top of the VOR communication box on your sectional chart. If this frequency has an R at the end of it, then this is telling you that the flight service station only receives at this frequency. Therefore, you can only transmit on this frequency and you'll have to listen on the VOR frequency on your nav radio. So when the frequency has an R, they cannot transmit back to you on that frequency. So you're going to have to use two radios. You're going to have to transmit on frequency with R at the end of it. And then you're going to receive on the VOR frequency to hear them on the VOR frequency. In the below example, again, here in the lesson, The frequency on top has no R and therefore you can receive and transmit. So if there is no R on the top, that's the the flight service station radio frequency and you can both receive and transmit on that and you don't need to use two radios to communicate back and forth with the flight service station. Another thing to note is if the VR navigational frequency inside the box is underlined or not. An underlined nav frequency means that you cannot transmit on the frequency. In the example we have here, we have 114.0 underlined. 
so it's underlined and therefore you cannot transmit on this frequency but would transmit and receive on 122.6 so basically that's a VOR frequency and it just means that you just connect it to your nav radio you can't transmit on it that's why you're going to use the flight service station frequency 122.6 in this example so that doesn't have an r on it so usually right so if it did have an r on it the vor frequency inside the box would probably not be underlined right that way you can transmit on one and listen on the other right they kind of go hand in hand this one is underlined so that means you cannot transmit on the frequency but 122.6 has no r that means we can transmit and receive on that so it's Kind of annoying, these little things that you have to learn, but that's what that means, those little details of the communication boxes for VOR stations. So in this example, if you're looking at it, we have the name below the box. It says San Diego, so that would be San Diego Radio. The frequency is on top of the box of 122.6. Again, it has no R, so you can transmit and receive on that. The VOR station is Julian, and that is the name of it inside the box. And then it has a VOR facility frequency, the 114.0 that we talked about, and that's underlined. If it's accompanied with a star, that indicates the frequency does not have continuous. We don't see a star here. Then it's gonna tell you a channel. Usually it's gonna say channel, like here in the example, we have channel 87. And again, this is inside the VOR information box on your sectional chart. And this is a channel for the Vortec TACAN facility. That's a military thing. Next is gonna have like, three letters and that's a VOR facility identifier. So here it's Julian, so it's JLI. And then the last thing is gonna have is Morse code identifier for the facility. So again, when you want to tune into a VOR, you wanna make sure that it's working. And to do that, you listen in on the station and see that you hear the Morse code. If you hear the Morse code that matches what's in this box, then you know it's working. So this one in the box is dot dash 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 dot dash dot dot and then dot dot. So you would hear like beep 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 beep. <laughs> Anyways, uh, the dash is just a longer beep, right? So a beep is beep and then a dash is beep. All right. <laughs> Anyways, let's continue on. So basically a flight service station is a facility that's gonna provide you with everything but kind of instructions and directions on where to fly and how to separate from traffic, okay? So that's gonna provide you things like weather advisories, uh, be able to do pre-flight weather briefings, notums, and then file your flight plan, open your flight plan and all that stuff. So that's what a flight service station is for. Next up, we have approach departure control centers. These are ATC centers. Control centers provide you with traffic alerts, airspace clearance, immediate emergency assistance, faster search and rescue services, and flight following. Control centers do not process flight plans. They do not conduct pre-flight briefings, and they do not provide in-flight weather advisory services. So that's what you use the flight service stations for. Control centers are found on sectional and terminal area charts in white boxes with heavy blue borders. And we have an example here in the ground school. So in this example, it states to contact SoCal Approach. So it says CTC SoCal APP. So contact SoCal Approach and then has 14,000 feet and below on 132.2 or 
269.1. So it says contact SoCal approach when you're in this area, so around where this box is on your chart, when you're 14,000 feet and below, and then it gives you two frequencies. So it gives you a 132.2 or 269.1. So we would use the 132.2. So contact 132.2 when you're 14,000 feet and below on that, and that is SoCal approach. So that would be the center you would call for flight following and stuff like that. Control centers at or near an airport will also be listed in the airport's AFD and the below, so that AFD slash chart supplement. In the below example from an airport chart supplement, the Seattle Center for Approach and Departure can be contacted at 125.8. So we have at the bottom of the chart supplement, it says Seattle Center Approach slash Departure Control, and it shows 125.8. So it's another place you can find if you know you're going to be over an airport or you're arriving or departing at an airport and you want to know the center frequency to put in your kneeboard and be prepared for that, you can find that in the chart supplement at near the bottom. So let's talk some more about flight following. Flight following should be used at all times when you are outside the airspace of your departure or landing airport. You don't have to, but it's highly recommended that you do. It's going to put you on ATC's map, right? They're going to know about you and see your radar and be able to know when you're getting into trouble. They'll be able to help you out and call out traffic for you and stuff like that. It's just a tool that's going to make flying safer for you, so you might as well use it. Flight following is there to help you and keep you safe. So how do we contact flight following? Well, I already gave an example of what you need to say, you know, in the previous lesson on communications, who you are talking to, who you are, what you are, where you are, what you have, and what you want. But you can contact flight following on the ground before you contact your ground control. Oh, sorry, but can you contact flight following on the ground before you contact your ground control? Or when do you contact them? You can make your initial contact on the ground and wait for the tower to instruct you to change to your flight following frequency, or you can wait and make initial contact in the air above 1,000 feet AGL. So you can do it on the ground before you take off, or you can do it once you're up in the air. It's up to you. So if you want to contact flight following on the ground, you can contact flight following on the ground if the airport has a clearance delivery frequency or if the airport's ground control or tower frequency takes flight following requests as well. If you are not sure and can't find the information in the AFD chart supplement, it will not hurt to ask the ground controller. Just say, can I request flight following with you? And if they say no, then you know, and you'll just have to wait till you're in the air. But look to see if they have a clearance delivery frequency. If they do, then that's what you want to contact on the ground to get flight following on the ground. Once you are at altitude and the tower controller no longer requires you on the frequency, they will tell you to contact flight following on a specific frequency. So that gives everybody a chance to know what you're gonna do ahead of time and it makes things a little bit easier. Contacting flight following in the air, you wanna wait until at least 1,000 feet AGL to ensure the best reception because again, that flight following is not, they're not at your airport. They are at a different station, right? You have to get some altitude to be able to have good enough reception, line of sight reception with, with them. If mountains are in the area, you may need to fly even higher. This is a good question again for the ground controller, but may also be in the AFT chart supplement. If you have two radios, leave one radio set to listen to the tower frequency until you have either been cleared for a frequency change or are out of the airspace. 
If you have one radio, wait until you are well clear of the traffic pattern and request for a frequency change. Do not change the frequency on the radio until you either get approval or you leave the airspace. You are required to leave it on the tower frequency when you're in their airspace and you, until they tell you and approve your frequency change. Once you have a radio set to the nearest approach departure center, generally you want to use approach when landing and departure when leaving, but if you call the wrong one, no worries, they will steer you in the right direction. You can now give them a heads up of your request. So you can say center Cessna 2498 Quebec with request. You know, that was obviously an example. It would change depending on your aircraft. It might change depending on the center, right? You might want to say Los Angeles Center, Cessna 249 a Quebec with request or wherever that center is in the name of that center. Be sure to know exactly what you want to say before you initialize contact. Again, you need to know who you are talking to, who you are, what you are, where you are, what you have, and what you want. So make sure you know those things and then say, you know, Los Angeles Center, Cherokee 4284 uniform with request, right? And then, because they might be doing other things and sometimes it might take them a long time to get back to you. So that's why you just want to say, hey, I have a request. Quickly say you have a request and then once something's done and then they'll say, you know, state your request. Once ATC gives you the go ahead with something like Cessna 9 or 8 Quebec go ahead or Cessna 9 or 8 Quebec state request, you can now state your full request. So you might say something like Los Angeles Center, Cessna 9 or 8 Quebec is a Cessna 172, five miles north of Fallbrook Airport at 5,500 feet, request flight following to Gillespie. So you're telling them who you are, what you are, where you are, and the altitude you're at, and what you want, right? You want flight following and where you're going to Gillespie. So ATC will come back and make a note of your location give you a squawk number to put into your transponder, it may also give you an altimeter setting so that you can update your altimeter and they may also ask you to ident. Uh, again, ident means on your transponder when you hit the ident, your aircraft is gonna like flash or grow big on their radar screen and allows them to find you more easily. But do not do ident unless you are asked to do ident because it might distract them from other more important things. So only do it when they ask you to do it, but it's just a button on your transponder and that's what happens when you do press it. Your ground checklist should already have your transponder set to 1200, which is the VFR code to be used for all VFR aircraft until authorized otherwise by ATC. You would then acknowledge this by repeating the important elements of the transmission. So you might say squawk 4579, altimeter 2996, Cessna 908 Quebec. So you would make sure you say the numbers that they gave you to confirm that you guys are all on the same page. Now that you have made initial contact and flight following has you on the radar, you will need to set your transponder to the squat code and continue to listen for traffic updates while also listening for your tail number in case flight following is trying to contact you. When changing your transponder code, be sure to first set the transponder to standby before changing the numbers. This ensures that you avoid transmitting even for a brief second on one of the emergency codes. So the emergency codes are 7700, that's for a common emergency, 7600, that's for a comms failure, and 7500 is for a hijacking. So you want to avoid that. So put your transponder on standby mode, change to your squat code, and then put it back to active. If flying on a longer cross-country, flight following will transfer you to the next station and inform you when to switch to a specific frequency. When you have your destination airport in sight, 
you can let flight following know so that they can prepare you to transfer you to the airport frequency. So you might say something like Cessna 9 or 8 Quebec airport in sight. And they might say Cessna 9 or 8 Quebec squawk VFR switch to Gillespie Tower 121.7. So they're telling you go to the VFR squawk number 1200. We're passing you off to the tower so you can now contact the tower for the frequency and they're going to direct you in from here on out. So they're, they're passing you off to the tower. So you would just confirm that you say squawk VFR switch to 121.7. If you ever want to terminate flight following or if aircraft air traffic control advises the radar service is terminated when departing in airspace, the transponder code should be set to the VFR squawk code of 1200. Unless otherwise requested by ATC, a pilot should squawk 1200 anytime when operating under VFR below 18,000 feet MSL. Again, if you have any questions in regards to VOR, DME, Vortac, flight service stations, or other communication information on a sectional chart, Refer to the legend on your sectional chart. If you can't find an answer about a particular symbol on your chart, join the part-time pilot study group on Facebook. I'll put a link in the show notes for you guys and ask the question in the group. Someone will help you out. We always respond to every single question in there. Plus, you get other perspectives in there as well. The figure here in the ground school shows what that looks like in the legend of your sectional chart breaking down all the information in a communication box. Okay, so that is the lesson on flight service stations and control centers. Let's move on to the next lesson on filling out, filing, and activating a flight plan. Hey, what's up pilots? This is Nick. I wanted to take a second and talk about the ultimate private pilot test prep book. Now we don't have a ton of reviews yet on Amazon, but a lot of people have gotten it and we have a lot of good feedback from it. And the reason why is because it blows out all those other test prep books out of the water, right? If you've gotten a test prep book before, it's got a bunch of FA written test questions. It's good for that. It's good for that rote memorization, practicing those test problems and stuff. But if you want to learn beyond that, it might have some bullet point summaries of some of the subjects. It might tell you some tips on multiple choice test strategies, but that's about it, right? So what if you want to learn this stuff at a fundamental level? What if you want to go deeper on any of these topics because you're just not getting these topics? And the reason I made this is because we don't have anything physical. And I myself am someone who really likes to study with something physical in my hands. I like to take it with me to the beach, to the park, when I'm traveling, whatever. So I wanted to make a book unlike any of the other books. So that's what I did with the Ultimate Private Pilot Test Prep. So how is it different? Well, it's got all those test questions just like the other books. It covers every single subject just like the other books, but it breaks things down and explains all the concepts in simple English. And then you add in diagrams and visual aids that those books do not have. And then you also add in QR codes. You know, those little QR codes that you scan to bring up a menu that came around during COVID. So yeah, you can do that with your mobile device, your iPad, whatever. And it'll bring up a video lesson on what you're watching. We also have a bunch of QR codes in there for free downloads, as well as free practice tests that come with the book. So it's on Amazon. I'll put a link in the show notes. It's only 37 dollars and it's got literally everything you guys that's why it's the ultimate test prep book it's the best bet you can get for one single book when you're studying for your private pilot test so check it out
Filling out, filing, and activating a flight plan. What is a flight plan and what is its purpose? Surely a pilot will already have their own cross-country flight plan to follow, so what is the point of filing one? Flight plans can be filed for VFR or IFR for civil aircraft using a format that aligns with the International Civil Aviation Organization or ICAO standards. So if you hear international flight plan on your written exam, just know they're talking about that ICAO flight plan standard format. It's just the normal flight plan that you fill out. They just have a standard format of how you fill out these flight plans. We have links to these websites where you can do this here in the ground school. Flight planning software such as 1-800-WXBRIEF.COM will follow the international flight plan format as you will see here in, in this lesson. We will go over the why, how, and what of these international flight plans but more information can be viewed here on the FAA website, and we link to that FAA website uh, that gives some in-depth stuff on the flight plans. You're not going to have to know all this in-depth into the FAA written exam. It's more so for practical use and preparing for your checkride and your cross-country flights. The point and purpose of filing a flight plan is simple. It helps rescue workers find you and your aircraft in the event of a crash. This is important to keep in mind when filling out your VFR flight plan. So, so far, there's two things that I've mentioned that I want you to remember for the FAA written exam. The format for the flight plan has to align with the International Civil Aviation Organization, or ICAO standards. And then two, flight plans, the purpose is to help rescue workers find you and your aircraft in the event of a crash. So I want you to remember those things for your FAA written exam. So do you have to fill out a flight plan? No. They are not required for VFR flights. However, they are required for IFR flights, and if you do plan to fly through some Washington, D.C. airspaces or TFR locations, then they're required. If you do file a flight plan, you're required to file it in the international flight plan format. Again, we mentioned that. For any flight plan filed through an FSS or FAA contracted flight plan filing service like 1-800-WX-BRIEF, or for any flight departing U.S. domestic airspace. If you do file a flight plan, you're required to file it in the ICAO format whenever you use an FAA contract flight plan service or the FSS flight service station. So the flight service station, if you do it over the phone, they're going to use that format, international flight plan format. 1-800-WX-BRIEF is going to use that format. Or any other flight departing U.S. domestic airspace has to use that IKL format. So essentially, you will almost always need to use the international format, which we will detail below. What is the difference between a flight plan, flight following, and flight service station, or FSS? A flight plan is simply for the purpose of search and rescue operation and is not tied to flight following or an FSS. Flight following is an air traffic control, which can provide you with clearance through airspaces, provide you with traffic advisories, and is usually denoted as an approach or departure control center. Uh, we just talked about these. You must contact ATC on these local approach departure control frequencies or center frequency to request flight following services. A pilot must still fly VFR rules when under the watch of flight following unless the controller has cleared them to do otherwise. For example, clear them through Bravo airspace. ATC or flight following can provide information such as significant weather, but this is not their primary objective. A flight service station, again, this is sort of reviewing what we just covered in the last lesson, can activate a VFR flight plan while flight following or ATC will not. So flight service station is tied to the flight plans. They'll be able to activate and close your flight plan for you. 
FSS does not provide you with any traffic advisory, but they can file, activate, and close a flight plan. And FSS also provides in-flight and in-route weather briefings, as we learned in the last lesson. So how do you fill out and file a flight plan? Filling out a flight plan is easy. A pilot can do it over the phone or online or through FSS on your radio. If doing it over the phone, it is helpful if you write down your plan beforehand so that you are prepared for the person on the other end of the call. To file a flight plan over the phone, call 1-800-WX-BRIEF, that's B-R-I-E-F. And if you want to print off some flight plan forms to fill out before you give the briefer a call, we have a link provided here where you can find those in the ground school. To file a flight plan online, go to www.1800wxbrief.com. You'll have to register an account, but don't worry, it's free. Once registered, expand the drop-down menu titled Flight Planning and Briefing and select Briefings, Flight Plans, and Navlogs. You must be logged in in order to access these features. Once you have logged in and selected the Briefings, Flight Plans, and Navlogs link, you will be brought to a page with a VFR flight plan ready for you to fill out. You can also file a flight plan using ForeFlight if you have the app. Also, there are other sites such as www.fltplan.com or www.skyvector.com or Duats. I use WX Brief or sometimes ForeFlight. The VFR fight plan looks like this, and we have a picture here when I say this. We have a picture here. This is the ICAO format and what it looks like on wxbrief.com and mostly looks like on all the other sites as well. They pretty much show you the same type of thing. Simply follow the field from left to right, up to down of the flight plan, starting with the type of flight in box one. So it's going to have different boxes and there's just different things you fill out. And we're kind of going to briefly cover what each of these are. So aircraft ID, this is your aircraft N number, call sign, tail number. For example, November 9082 uniform. Next box is the flight rule. So that's going to be for us VFR or IFR if you're flying IFR. Next box is flight type. So you can put S, N, G, M, X, or D. S, it stands for scheduled. I usually use scheduled or general. N is non-scheduled. G is general. Again, I usually use scheduled or general. M is military. X is other. And D is D VFR. Next box is number of aircraft. This will be one unless you're flying to an airport and changing aircraft. So if you flight plan has you landing and changing aircraft, then you may want to put two. Or you could just do two different flight plans as well. Next one is aircraft type. If you don't know yours, WX Brief has a search function where you can search for your make and model. For example, a Piper or Archer 2 is a P-28A. So just look up your aircraft type and, and the code for that. So P-28A would be like the air, aircraft that I, I fly a lot. Okay, wake turbulence. L stands for light, M stands for moderate, and H stands for heavy. If you are in a single engine propeller aircraft, then you would put L for light. So the size of your aircraft is going to have a certain rating of wake turbulence, right? Okay, next one is aircraft equipment. Simply select all that apply for the type of navigation and communication equipment that you have inside your aircraft. Some sites want you to enter a forward slash code, for example, forward slash A, to determine what code your aircraft will be. You can go here and I provide a link there in the ground school. I'll provide that in the show notes as well. Okay, next box is departure. This is the departure airport ICAO identifier. 
So your departure airport identifier, so for example, Gillespie Field is K-S-E-E. So if I was departing Gillespie Field in El Cajon, Southern California, then I would put K-S-E-E. Departure date and time. This is self-explanatory, but make sure that your time is in the format of hour, hour, minute, minute. For example, 2.30 p.m., you would want to put 14.30. So that's the military time where it's two digits for the hours, two digits for the minutes. So 14.30 would be 2.30 p.m. Cruising speed is the next box. Generally, this is in terms of true airspeed. You should have calculated this for your cross-country plan. Make sure to use the correct format when entering online. Otherwise, it won't accept your flight plan. When using knots, use the format N1234, where 1234 are the four digits of airspeed. So if your true airspeed at cruise is 120, then you would input N0120. So that's this is kind of annoying and weird that they do this, but they use four in case you're going 1,000 miles per hour. <laughs> they use four digits, so if you're not going 1,000 miles per hour, if you're going 999 knots or less, then you would have a zero for the first digit. So N, so 120 knots, true airspeed, would, you'd put N0120. All right, next box is level. Whatever you choose for your cruising altitude when calculating your cross-country plan goes here. Remember that when traveling east, VFR flights need to be odd plus 500. When traveling west, they need to be even plus 500. The format for this entry of flight below 18,000 feet MSL is in hundreds of feet. So if your cruise altitude is 7,500 feet MSL, then you would put 75. That's this is for the level box. If you plan to have multiple cruising altitudes during your flight, you are required to input the initial or first cruising altitude of your flight. So let's say you want to climb up to 3,500 feet and you want to fly there for a little bit, but then you have some rising terrain, so you want to bump that up to 5,500 feet. Which level do you put here in your flight plan? They want you to put your first cruising altitude, so you put the 3,500 feet. Now, this is an FAA written question. We've seen this asked on the FAA written exam. They say something like, when you have multiple cruising altitudes, which one do you put in your flight plan? You want to put the first cruising altitude in your flight plan. All right, the next box is the surveillance equipment. Again, select all that apply for your aircraft. For most trainer aircraft, the selection is C, since aircraft generally are equipped with modes A and C transponders. Route of flight, remember the purpose of a flight plan is for search and rescue. If you just say your flight is direct from your departure to your destination, then you will greatly decrease the chances of being found if you're lost along the way. WX Brief allows you to use airports, waypoints, VOR stations, and even coordinates. They even have a map tool, but at this point, you should already have your cross-country flight planned out and can select airports, waypoints, VFR stations, or coordinates at your checkpoints. You don't have to do every single one of your checkpoints, but if you do one every, you know, the more detail you have, the better chance. So if you're, especially if you're flying over remote places, right, this is a good idea to put more detail in here uh, so they know if they don't hear from you, where to look for you. Separate each checkpoint of your flight with a space. Uh, so when you're inputting them, separate each one with a space. All right, the next box is destination. Again, this is the IKO identifier for your destination. So if we are flying to Apple Valley in California, that would be KAPV. That's the airport identification for our destination. Estimated elapsed time. Again, you should already have your calculated cross-country flight and know the estimated time of your flight. If not, you can estimate the flight time by taking your total distance traveled 
and dividing it by an average ground speed, say 90 knots or 100 knots, depending on the winds you're expecting and the aircraft true airspeed you're expecting. You know, maybe it's 120 knots or maybe you have a higher performance aircraft and it's 150 knots. You can do a quick estimation is what I'm trying to say here, but you should have already done cross-country flight plans, so you should have a more specific number here. The format, again, is hour, hour, minute, minute. So if your total flight time takes one and a half hours, then you would input that as 0130. So it's hours is 01, and then minutes is 30. Okay, alternates one and two, this is optional. These are optional, but never a bad idea to input the alternate airports you have planned along your flight plan, flight path. Next is fuel endurance. This is based off the amount of fuel you are bringing and the estimated fuel consumption rate for your flight. So for a single engine Cherokee Warrior, for example, that I learned to fly with, I use a consumption rate of 10 gallons per hour. The aircraft can hold a maximum of 48 usable gallons of fuel. I would always fill it up to the max before takeoff, no matter how much fuel I needed. So that means I have 48 divided by 10 or 4.8 hours of fuel. So they want this in terms of time. So that's why it's fuel endurance. So they don't want gallons or pounds or anything. They want time. So how long can you fly with the amount of fuel you have on board? That's kind of what they're looking for. So again, it's hours, hours, minutes, minutes. So 4.8 hours would be, so 0.8 of an hour is 48 minutes. So that'd be 0448. Four hours and 48 minutes is equivalent to 4.8 hours. All right, next one is persons on board. Self-explanatory, this includes you. So if you're flying solo, you'd enter one. If it was you and your instructor, you'd enter two. Next is aircraft color and markings. WX Brief has a handy search button that gives you the list of codes for aircraft colors. If your service does not, you can use a list here. Image We have an image. It, so like amber is A, beige is B-E, brown is B-R, gold is G-D, maroon is M, olive drab is O-D, pink is P-K, silver is S, turquoise is T-Q, white is W, blue is B, black is B-K, green is G, gray is G-Y, orange is O, purple is P, red is R, T is tan, V is violet, and Y is yellow. Okay, so you'll just want to input a code for the most primary color of your aircraft. Okay, so the your aircraft is most most likely going to have a primary color, like white or something. And then if you had an, another color, you'd want to put that in. On the fuselage, it was mostly blue. Then you'd want to put in the B. So what distinguishes your aircraft, right? If it was all white, then you would put in white. Emergency radios is the next box. Select whether or not your aircraft has a UHF, VHF, or ELBA emergency radio. Next is survival equipment. Select what type of survival equipment you will be traveling with. And they do this by ecosystem. So they have polar, desert, maritime, jungle. And again, it should match the ecosystem or terrain you're traveling over. So in Southern California, I would put desert. Jackets. Select the type of life jackets or survival jackets you are carrying on board. Light fluorescent, UHF, or VHF are your options. So they want to kind of know what sort of signals will come out of your life jackets so they know what to look for. And then the last one is pilot contact information. If you make an account at WX Brief, then you will be required to put your contact information in your profile. And this will auto-populate when you click to make a flight plan. If not, put your name and phone number as well as your airport base name and phone number. Again, this is all information that will help them to find you. So that's it. Now, that's the whole flight plan right there. 
Now you have the option of clicking the buttons below the plan at WX Brief. You can get a standard weather briefing printout by selecting standard brief, or you can get an outlook brief or abbreviated brief. You can also schedule a brief to be emailed you just before your flight. You also have the option now to file this flight plan. Filing a flight plan only puts it into the database. It doesn't open it. You can file as many flight plans as you wish. No one will come looking for you unless you have activated slash opened that flight plan. You can also get a WX Brief nav log. This is handy in that it estimates for you the speeds as well as courses you fly on based off the aircraft type and the winds. This is not exact, but can be a helpful tool in planning and calculating cross-country flights. To file the plan, simply click File once the plan is fully filled out. If filing over the phone, just state you wish to only file the plan at this moment. They may ask you when you would like to activate the flight plan, and you will have the option of giving them a time or calling them back to activate it. If you file online at WX Brief, you will receive an email shortly before your flight, allowing you to activate your flight plan through a link in the email. That's super handy and how I file and activate all my flight plans. Once you have filed the flight plan, you will have the option to cancel, amend, or activate the flight plan again at wxbrief.com. So how do you activate your flight plan? As I just stated, you can activate your flight plan as soon as you select the file at wxbrief. You can then go ahead and activate it. You also get an email allowing you to click on a link to activate your flight plan. You want to time the activation of your flight plan accordingly with when you take off because they use the time you activate your flight plan and the estimated time and route you entered in your plan to determine when to start a search and rescue for you. If you haven't closed your flight plan within 30 minutes after your expected arrival, they will start calling your contact information or your departure destination airports. I use the email link to activate my flight plan just before I take off. I get takeoff clearance using my phone. A lot of pilots, however, will call 1-800-WX-BRIEF before they taxi and ask them to activate their flight plan in 30 minutes. I've done that as well. A lot of pilots also just wait until they're up in the air and contact an FSS and ask to activate their flight plan that way. All are valid options. I choose not to do so flight because it's one less workload item while I'm up flying the aircraft. So how do you close your flight plan? All the same ways you activate a flight plan, you can close a flight plan. You can close it via an FSS, flight service station in the air, over the phone at 1-800-WX-BRIEF or online wxbrief.com or over an email that you get shortly after you've activated it. Just be sure to remember to close your flight plan or you might have a search and rescue team out looking for you. And if you are safe and sound somewhere, you may be liable for the cost of that search and rescue. So you really, they're gonna call your school or your airport and or you and they're going to try and contact you first before they send out any search and rescue because it does happen a lot and it's happened to me i forgot to close the flight plan but just get in the habit of not doing that because if they can't get in contact with anybody then they're going to start to worry and they're gonna send someone to look for you and yeah you might be liable for the cost all right so that is it we got quite a few notes links that i'll put in the show notes for you guys Today's episode, a little bit longer one, but I wanted to get through both of these good lessons, especially applicable and helpful for your cross-country flights and your check ride. So next week or episode, I'm not sure if I'll have the uh, mock oral check ride ready for that or if we'll do a lesson. If we do a, more lessons, we're going to continue on section 14 in the online ground school and looks like collision avoidance and traffic and then airport light signals will start to get into 
things like that. Then after that would be taxiway and runway lighting systems, taxiway and runway signs and markings, traffic patterns, and stuff like that. Thank you guys so much for listening. Hope you guys had, again, great holidays and you continue to have great holidays. And good luck with your flight tests, lessons, and all that stuff. And I'll talk to you next week. Hey guys, it's Nick. I want to take a second to speak directly to the student pilots out there. You might be a student pilot that is you know, wondering what to do next, how to get started, or maybe you're looking for the right ground training or flight training, or maybe you've already started ground training or flight training and you're stuck, you're in a rut, and you're looking for a change, something to help get you out of that hurdle. From my own experience in flight training, after three years, five instructors and $22,000 and wanting to quit multiple, multiple times, and then now, after seeing hundreds and hundreds of student pilots through part-time pilot, I've realized that the number one thing that makes student pilots fail is that they do not have a good fundamental understanding of the ground training when they get to the more advanced flight lessons. Now, who here has seen Top Gun Maverick? Do you remember in the movie when he says, don't think, just do? Now, when I heard this, I was like, oh my goodness, this is brilliant because this is exactly what you have to be as a pilot. Now, of course, it's not that we're not thinking, but it's that we understand things like weather, aerodynamics, what our instruments are telling us, what ATC is telling us. We have such a good core fundamental understanding of these things that we don't have to think about them. And when we don't have to think about them, we can instinctively feel and fly the aircraft, look out for dangers and avoid emergency situations. If we do have to think about these things, it's going to put us behind mentally and we're going to be behind the aircraft. And when you're behind the aircraft mentally, bad things happen. And this happens when you don't have a good understanding of the ground school content. So now the first 10 to 15 hours of your flight training can go smooth, even if you don't have a good understanding of ground training, right? You can go up for a discovery flight, have a blast. You can go up, learn how to take off, learn how to land. You may be even able to solo for the first time, fly a plane for the first time everything's great and dandy but once you get into you know bad weather flying or flying at heavy heavily trafficked airports or speaking with atc for bravo clearance or cross-country flight planning and flying solo on a cross-country flight things get a little more advanced and when this happens and you don't have a good understanding of the ground school concepts you're gonna hit a wall you're gonna start to get behind the aircraft when this happens if you have a good flight instructor they're going to stop you and they're going to say okay we need to do one-on-one ground lessons and now you're going to be paying your flight instructor to not even fly with you but instead 50 60 70 dollars an hour to just teach you the ground school content that you should already know and and the worst part is is you're not flying with them so the flight training that you gain the currency the proficiency that you gained is going to be lost and you're going to have to redo those lessons what happens to most student pilots is they continuously hit these mental blocks where they get behind the aircraft they start making mistakes and then they catch up with the ground knowledge only to have that happen again and they start to get in this vicious cycle of having to redo trainings and repay for trainings until it gets to the point where them or their family they finally say you know what this has to stop we can no longer afford the training costs uh, without any progress you know and they end up quitting now so how do we avoid that well here comes part-time pilot again i said i went through my own experience of this and i realized that most flight training and ground training is not tailored to the modern day student pilot 
I say modern day student pilot, I should say modern day part-time student pilot. Because let's face it, there's a very small percentage of us that can go and dedicate 24-7, 365 to our flight training or not even miss a beat and be able to pay for flight training without working. So most of us have a full-time job or maybe a part-time job. We have kids, we have family, we have school. We have all these other responsibilities on top of flight training. And most of these flight trainings and ground trainings are not tailored towards you. And so how is it the part-time pilot tailors to the modern day student pilot? Well, the first way we do that is by keeping ground school interesting. You wanna avoid being boring. You wanna avoid that burnout. So how we do that is we present our material in multiple, multiple ways. And you're actually listening to one of them right now. You can consume our content via this podcast and an audio recording. You can do this while you're running, while you're driving in traffic. Again, tailoring to that busy part-time student pilot. Or you can read through our written lessons. You know, I like to read. So read, for those of you that like to read, you can read through the lessons. You can see the step-by-step -step examples and the procedures that we have. Or you can look through our study guide and see our diagrams and mnemonic devices, have that visual cue, those visual cues and aids that help further your understanding. Or you can watch our videos. Or you can take our quizzes and practice tests to reinforce what you just learned. And then finally, you can join us live weekly for our live Q&A and our live lessons so you can see in real time these things taught out and these examples done in real time. And then finally, you can utilize our group community to form study groups, get questions answered 24-7. All of this is tailored for the modern day student pilot to keep ground school interesting, keep it from being boring, keep from having that burnout, and to find ways that you can consume the content throughout your busy schedule. And guess what? It works. We've had over 350 student pilots come through, take and pass their FAA exams without a single student failing. That's right. A single student has yet to tell me that they failed either their FAA written or their FAA checkride. So that is just proof in the pudding right there that our concepts, the way we explain things in plain written English, and the way we give you multiple ways to consume this content is working. So if this sounds like something you might be interested and in, you want to come join us, we'd love to have you. Just go to www.parttimepilot.com, click on online ground school, and we'll see you inside the online ground school. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you guys next week.